0: everybody. This is the Nitty Gritty. My name is Chad with me is Leonard. This is a show about wrestling and this week we will be continuing our Royal Rumble series of shows as that is getting closer. It's probably this weekend by the time you're seeing this episode as it's on uh, Sunday the 29th and uh it should be an interesting event. Uh you know, I always look forward to it despite how many times in the past decade it's disappointed. <laughs> We'll get to uh, some of those disappointments um, as we move along here. Um, Last week, we did a rebook of the 1995 Royal Rumble, so please go check that out. And this week, we are going to be covering our favorite and least favorite non-Rumble Royal Rumble matches. Did I explain that accurately, Leonard?
1: Yes, I I believe so. And I always like to put a disclaimer on something like this that... This is our opinion, you know, it's not a definitive fact that these are the best or these are the worst. And I'm sure there are others out there that we're not talking about that maybe we didn't think of or that we just didn't take a look at or wanted to talk about that are out there. So certainly recommend those in the comments. But these are three on my end and three on Chad's end, best and worst uh, of kind of what we came across. I, I looked at some lists online. I looked at some cards, kind of jogged my memory a little bit. And then I reviewed all the matches that we're talking about. I watched fresh this week. So. Right. And I will say, uh,
0: before I elaborate there, I, we have to notice Leonard's shirt, which is uh, Roddy Piper related. So we have, yes. to, we have to appreciate the uh, They Live.
1: Yes, the They Live shirt. This was a Christmas present from the wife. Nice. She doesn't always know what she's getting me, but she knows I will like it. There you go.
0: And I will say that when it comes to the worst lists, or rather our least favorites, I definitely used a different criteria than did Leonard. At least that's my guess. Yes. I've seen. And, uh, you know, so I will say, first off, that the ones that I've selected, you will notice are not necessarily the worst technical matches. Um, there are some really bad technical matches, and I'm sure Leonard has some of those on there. The ones that I selected specifically are ones that made me angry or ones that annoyed me in some way or just flat out I just wasn't into it. So we'll get more into that. I just wanted to put that disclaimer on my list specifically.
1: So, yeah, so my my list is more just I took that literally. I just went looking for the worst matches that I could find. (laughs) The three that I have are all like extremely short. Like I think they're all under five minutes. I think the longest is like three and a half minutes long. Right. Uh, but, and and we don't have them in any order, we should say. I think we're going to talk about them in chronological order just because. But my first match to talk about is China versus Ivory for the WBF women's title from 2001. Uh, uh, and I got into this match from another one that we'll talk about later but that match i watched that match this one came on i kept watching it and went oh yeah i didn't because i think everyone talks about the victory that china got over rivalry at wrestlemania and not so much this match here so the storyline is that china is returning from a serious neck injury uh from a spike pile driver by right to censor and The match structure is terrible just to start with you have Stevie Richards interfering with no DQ being called you have the ladies going to the into the crowd with no count out being made. Uh, And it's and it's a regular rules match. Uh, And this all happens before the appearance of China re injuring herself, doing the handspring back elbow which shouldn't necessarily hurt her neck and Jim Ross is covering on commentary that, oh, it was that final rotation. There was a whiplash movement. That's what got her. He's really trying to cover this here. And what not only is this a technically bad match, but it also leaves a very sour taste in my mouth because they treat it like a shoot. They treat it like China's legitimately injured. You've got JR doing the serious voice. You've got Jerry Lawler going into the ring to check on her. You've got the paramedics coming out. And keep in mind, this isn't too long after Owen Hart's death in the ring so i didn't i don't think that's a good look to do for this match i think you could have done something to say that she re-injured the neck and and presented it in in a different way but didn't like the angle didn't like the match
0: yes i've seen this match and uh, i also didn't like it and i feel like jim ross has elaborated on this they i think they did a whole china episode on uh, grill and jr and um basically china didn't want to work with women um uh, more on that later but uh china didn't want to work with women and like i <coughs> agree with the sour taste because it's like well this is the only way china would lose the title as if like there's some pre-existing injury that then gets re-injured and you know yeah um and they they went overboard i agree with the lawler going into the ring and all that kind of stuff I, I, yeah I, I didn't like it and uh, not a fan. So I, I agree with you, uh, definitely, that that's a worthy contender. Um, so again, going in chronological order, my first match is Ahmed Johnson versus Farouk, January nineteenth, 1997, at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas. Tagline here was, no more Mr. Nice Guy, Leonard. Uh, but Alice Cooper was not there.
1: OK, and nor was Jake Roberts. I don't think, no, was he there? He might have been there. I'd have to Dick look. Dick Roberts might have been somewhere there. For yeah, because he, 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 he might have been there. I, I try to remember when he left again. But anyway. So
0: just a little bit of background on this era. So this was the event, the Rumble that had AAA involvement. So a lot of Lucha Libre people were there. Uh, you had Shawn Michaels taking on Sid. You had Austin winning the Rumble when he cheated to beat Brett. Um, so I remember this because I remember – wanting to really enjoy this feud, I I for whatever reason I thought that Ahmed Johnson was somebody at the time and I think the company did as well was somebody that could really be on the rise, that mm-hmm. could really be a contender. And the problem was like I li- I thought this feud had a lot of potential. And I just but the, unfortunately the matches were just terrible. They just weren't very good because and I'm I'm not going to pile on uh (laughs) Farouk uh you know Ron Simmons I you know Ahmed Johnson was just not very good in the ring and I don't think he was very committed to what he was doing either um you know from what I understand he was not very well liked for various reasons I wasn't there I don't know but the finish it was a D you have a DQ finish and you know which was basically like a fart in church um I just thought that the matches that these two guys had never really met or even halfway met expectations. And that was a big disappointment to me. Like they would have run-ins in the Rumble, I think, later on that night. And it it was just a bunch of BS is the best way I can put put it. Like the feud was there. It had a lot of potential and promise, but it just was never met. And I just remember
1: hating that. So that's why I put that there. Yeah, you know, I, I, he wouldn't be a spotlight, but, you know, we could probably spend an episode talking about Ahmed Johnson. It, it's really fascinating. This is a guy who came in out of nowhere with a rocket strapped to his butt, had a great look, had rock charisma, but couldn't really work, couldn't really cut a promo. Um, I thought this was an okay power match for the most part. My biggest problem, and, it, and this actually comes up a lot tonight is the idea that you have a lot going on that would draw disqualification that doesn't right um there are belt shots by by ron simmons there's brawling on the outside that goes along with chair shots and then it's not until everybody runs in that they finally go with the disqualification finish so it's kind of inconsistent with what we're doing or not doing here. I did like the kidney work. Uh they established Ahmad Jensen had a kidney injury. Uh fruit goes after that with different kidney shots and power moves of the kidney. You don't see that. You don't see anybody working the kidney. So I actually <laughs> kind of like that sequence. Uh it's just under nine minutes, but it feels like twice as long. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I you mentioned that because the I agree. Times of matches before um you know before watching them and, and looked up okay what am I getting into here? And I saw. Oh, well, it's just a little under nine minutes. It felt like twenty.
0: Yeah, and you know, you mentioned uh, working on the kidney because of a Ahmed Johnson' kidney injury. Ahmed Johnson had an everything injury, <laughs> like yeah. he was very injury prone, mm-hmm. and that was part of the issue. But
1: yes. uh, we we digress. Leonard, what's your next match? Yes. So my next one, again going chronologically, I have Don Marie versus Tori Wilson from two thousand and three. Bill is the first ever stepdaughter versus stepmother match, which is the only thing you need to know. We can move on. I don't have to say anything else. To That's tell true. You
0: um,
1: so the whole storyline here is one of the worst ever. Don Marie starts banging Tori Wilson's dad, played by her actual real dad, Al Wilson, which I think makes it even worse. May he rest in peace. Yes, he is passed now uh but in the storyline he and don Marie get married and he dies and then Tori and don fight at the funeral at the funeral home so very you know it's a mixed bag of bad taste and stupidity here very low and when, we, and when it comes to the match itself i mean neither of these women were great wrestlers i think they got better as they went particularly tori wilson but they're not good workers um the match is short i think it's like three and a half minutes That doesn't help. It's plain sloppy. It's poorly executed. And uh, Tori does win and they act like, oh, everything's great now. She won. Her father is dead. She wins a wrestling match and it's fine.
0: Yeah. um, Tori Wilson would really try hard throughout her career, but she just never had had what it takes to actually be a good in-ring talent because that's not what she was there for. She was there to be eye candy. And he, she and Don Marie are very attractive ladies, and that's what you know. Everybody was staring at. I mean, my gosh, these the the vignettes leading up to this had Don Marie in the shower and all that sort of nonsense.
1: Yeah, lingerie all the time. And Don Marie was a good valet. I like her at, as a as... valet.
0: Yes, absolutely. You know, but yeah, this match and this feud were just terrible. There, there was a lot of bad feuds going on at this time. I also have a match from this particular event. So yes we'll get get into that that's actually my last in chronological order but yes i agree with everything you said uh it could very well be a contender for the worst Mm -hmm. um so my next match is chris jericho versus china versus hardcore holly for the intercontinental title january 23rd 2000 at madison square garden this era you had austin was out he was injured at this time rock was taking the spotlight Um, you had a really superb card otherwise with Triple H and Cactus Jack, the Hardys and the Dudleys, Taz debuting against Kurt Angle, a lot was going on here, but, and you might think, well, you know, these names, how is this the worst intergender matches just don't work for me very, very much. I think that WWE a few years ago did a mixed tag tournament that was like only on Facebook, and I thought that that was actually kind of good because it was very tongue in cheek. You know, there was a lot of comedy involved in it. You know, so that necessarily didn't bother me. But inter- intergender matches, I just never really cared for, especially the ones with China. As we mentioned earlier, um, China didn't want to work with ladies. She wanted to work with men. She thought, and JR has talked about this ad nauseum, how she thought she could, she should be fighting for the title, you know, the world heavyweight title. And, uh, you know, she's very, Muscular and intimidating, but it just didn't make any sense to me. I didn't, you know, think it was really effective to put her in the ring for men with men, you know, not just for logic sakes, but the matches to me were really awkward with her in them, because I think you could tell that the guys were not doing their 110% with her in the ring. That might be an arguable point. I just see awkwardness. So, I mean, Chris Jericho really did his best with her. I will say that. Um, I just think that this is such a weird combination of people, Leonard. I know you're a hardcore Holly fan, but, like, like this is such an odd combination of talent for the Intercontinental title. It just is.
1: You know, I don't mind intergender matches. What I don't like, and this might surprise some people, is I don't like triple threat matches because you usually wind up with two types of matches, either one where it's very segmented, like person A works with person B, then they work with person C, then it's B and C, or one where the third person is just an oddball out and and hardly does anything. And that's kind of the match we get here. Uh I think if this had been Holly versus Jericho, this would have been fine. This would have been sure. a good match. Their their segments I, I are fine. I like those segments. China kind of gets sprinkled in um here and there. And considering the storyline, Holly just feels like he's you know odd he sticks out like a sore thumb considering the story going into this being i don't know if you i don't remember if you mentioned the idea was that chris jericho and china were cool co-holders of the intercontinental title at this time yeah um and this is going to be you know to clear it up there was going to be one winner coming out of here so i do think there's a few nice spots uh there's a spot towards the end where holly gets china up and she takes a crossbody on high from jericho uh, there's a superplex by China on Holly that I thought looked okay. Uh, honestly, I don't mind this. I don't hate it as much as you do, but uh, I just, as you said, there's more going on with your dislike of, of China and her and men's matches, et cetera, that I don't have. I just think that
0: this is not a positive part of the intercontinental title legacy. Uh, you know, I, I think when you look back at some of the matches, like, the, the classic matches that were had, but, you know, with various legends, you know, you look back at this and it just feels forced and somewhat awkward, but uh, Leonard, what do you got for your last least favorite?
1: So last least favorite again, in chronological order, this is JBL versus the boogeyman from 2006. <laughs> I like both of these characters. Uh, they were purposely played to extremes and for laughs a lot of the time. But that doesn't lead to good matches. This one here is all about the shtick. Um, there's a, it's only two minutes long, but theres it's probably 10 minutes altogether with all the pre-match and post-match theatrics. Uh, even as a comedy match, this doesn't work. It doesn't come together. Uh, the feud here is bad. It involved the boogeyman eating a fake growth off of Jillian Hall's face, who was working for JBL at the time. Uh, The pre-match involves the Boogeyman sexually assaulting Jillian Hall. He dry-humps her on the mat and spits worms down her blouse, uh, which is gross. It's not a good... I like the pump handle into a power slam finisher, the Boogeyman does. That's about the only nice thing I can say about this. Is just a a horrible match, horrible storyline, horrible feud.
0: Yeah. um, You know, one thing I will disagree with you on is uh, liking the Boogeyman character. I hated it. I thought it was stupid and very one note. Like, he eats worms. Wow. Great.
1: Yes, he eats worms.
0: If this was 92 or 93 or 94, I think the Boogeyman would have fit right in with that horrible era of wrestling. But he's not that era. He's with JBL, who is a great, great character. And, uh, yeah, this match was not good, and I I'll be honest, I had forgotten all that back story that you just unlocked, oh, yeah. which you know, makes me dislike it more. So, yeah, waste of both guys, in my opinion. Um, my last match in order here is from 2003, January nineteenth, two 2003, to be exact, at the Fleet Center in Boston, Massachusetts. So you had a lot going on in this era. Uh, Raw SmackDown brand split was going on. Uh, This was very much the Brock Lesnar phase, and uh, he was being a qualifying match against the Big Show for the Rumble. We already mentioned the Tory and Don Marie feud, so we don't need to Mm -hmm. go into that. You had Angle and Benoit. So I remember being really excited for whatever reason about Scott Steiner joining WWE. Most of the WCW guys, including the NWO, had come over by this point aside from Steiner and Goldberg, who was like a month or two away anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, Steiner, but the problem was Steiner's in-ring work ended up being really, really bad because uh, for whatever reason, he just didn't look around very well anymore. And he had zero chemistry with Triple H. And this was also during the era where was a- his- in terms of political manipulation backstage. And you would have the feud start here, but it would end at no way out the following month, which was another bad match. And then Steiner would, you know, fart around for a little bit and he'd be gone shortly Mm -hmm. after this whole debacle. Um, It just wasn't good. And it was just a real huge disappointment to me. Like I said, these matches that I put on my list, technically, they're not anywhere near the worst. To me, they were just really huge disappointments. And uh, a lot of times when I would, we were right back for 411, Leonard, that's what I would do with my worst movies list. It, you know, uh, it, granted a lot of them were just genuinely bad, but yeah. you know, I would try If there was one movie that really disappointed me, it would, you know, might end up on there. Um, and that's the way it was with this. I, I think that it would have been great to see an actual feud here, but Triple H was never going to lose the title at this time. Like he was keeping it off of everybody. So, and just the matches were just not good. So I don't know. Do you remember this
1: one? Yeah, I I do. From This one almost made my list. Um, And I'm going to contrast it with a match I'm going to talk about later on one of my favorites list. Because as you mentioned, this was definitely what they called the Reign of Terror era for Triple H, where he was burying everybody. Right. And um, to watch it, you go, well, that's not bad. It's sloppy. It's boring. When you listen to someone like, say, Bruce Pritchard talk about the behind the scenes and how struck he was and this man was by it, and that they got sold a bill of goods with Scott Steiner, right? Back was worse than he made it out to be, he had I to remember drop all that. it, was worse than, than he made it out to be. He botches a lot here. Mm-hmm. He's the baby face, he's getting booed by the end of it because of just how sloppy he is, how bad yeah. he is um it's uh you know all the, all the wonkiness towards the end brings it down you know triple h tries to get counted out but Hemner won't do it he tries to get disqualified and Hemner won't do it but then he eventually just disqualifies him once he um you know after he said he wouldn't and at the start of the match he said that he wouldn't take any crap at the start he's like oh i'm not gonna take any of that from you guys and he does for the entire match until triple h finally pulls out the sledgehammer Right. you know which is definitely a, a, a crutch for him uh so it's a lame finish it's a bad match and i think everything that floats around it and behind the scenes is really what drags it down when you consider all that
0: right absolutely i agree um so now we're going to move on to our favorites list mm-hmm. and again we are going in chronological order and leonard why don't you
1: start us off You know, I had to go super old school at some point. So I have the Rockers versus the Orient Express from 1991. Uh, This was long considered one of the best Rumble matches and best opening pay-per-view matches the WWF ever did. Uh, It's about 20 minutes, the pace is blistering, the double team moves used were very innovative for the time. You could transplant this match to today on a program and it would play fine, it wouldn't feel dated. Uh, This is the second version of the Orient Express. Yeah, we talked about in our video about teams with Express in the name. So this is Paul Diamond and Pat Tanaka. It's Bad Company from the AWA. And the Rockers and the Bad Company work together in the AWA. So they know each other very well. There's a familiarity. There's a chemistry, uh, which leads to both teams just letting it go and really going for it here. It's a nice long match, but it doesn't feel long solid chain wrestling, good sequences from tag to tag with different guys working together, spots building each other. Uh, You have the Express running into each other early on and then later they pull up and avoid it. But Michaels gets a double Naga Naga on them anyway. So just the way that spot built. Uh, Michael does a moonsault at one point, which is crazy for the period. Uh, There's a hot sequence where Jannetty and Michaels are just in perfect tandem with everything they're doing. Uh, it's a hot match. It's a hot crowd.
0: Absolutely, you know, um, it has been a while since I've seen this. I'll admit, but uh, yeah, this was a fantastic match. These were uh, the Rockers were always delivering great stuff in this era. They they worked so well together, and uh, you know, the Orient Express. As we went over on our Express show, um, both phases of the Orient Express might be worth a revisit for people out there uh, because they did have.
1: Um, some really solid work so yeah there were a lot of good tag teams in the wwf at that time and especially guys that could work with them like the rockers the killer bees etc
0: right well my first match is from 1998 january 18th 1998 at the san jose arena in san jose california and it is Shawn michaels versus the undertaker in a casket match uh this era you know the wwf was red hot you had the rock against shamrock uh lod against the new age outlaws vader and the artist formerly known as gold dust um you had austin winning the rumble that year um so this obviously the undertaker and Shawn michaels had a lot of matches and matches that are more revered than this one i simply think that this is one of their more underrated exchanges um but there is a lot going on in this match, a lot of shenanigans, if you will. But I actually think that in this case, it adds to the overall feud because this was the end of the Michaels Undertaker feud. They had fought at uh, Ground Zero and then at Bad Blood with the Hell in a Cell, which is a classic. And this was kind of wrapping up that first feud of theirs because it was transitioning into the Kane feud feud. Um, and so you would have Kane turn on the undertaker and they put him in the casket and lit it on fire. And what a visual to, uh, go out. Um, one of the main reasons that people remember this match, if they do at all is because this is the match where Shawn Michaels famously injured his back, um, by hitting the casket and shattering some vertebrae in in his back, um, which obviously put him out for many years. But, uh, these two can't have a bad match in my opinion. So I I think that this one was really good, a really interesting way for them to end the feud, because like I said, it was simply a transition, but uh, they had done pretty much everything, straight up matches, hell in the cell and now a casket match. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I just, I really enjoy these two
1: working together. You know, I, I had seen the image of the casket on fire, but I don't think I've ever seen this match before in its entirety. So that was interesting for me to watch. As you mentioned, Undertaker and Michaels had great chemistry. Everyone thinks of the Hell in the Cell match. Uh, I like this one. I like the build. You mentioned there's a lot of shenanigans that comes towards the end. Like they do right. try to like a real match. To start with the casket comes into play but it's not necessarily all about the casket or getting the guy in the casket until later so there's a build there uh michaels does take a backdrop on the casket lid early on i'm not sure if that's the spot that that hurt him yeah uh, but there's a lot going on there uh great power game by undertaker i think throughout which leads to great selling by michaels of course. I think the powder spot was cheesy. There's a, there's a part where he comes out, out of the casket with the powder. Um, you know, I and and JR does mention that last time Taker won, lost a casket match was against Yokozuna at Royal Rumble, and a bunch of people came out. So when all the people come out at the end, you know, that's sort of a, a throwback. So it's a reference. Uh, the stuff with Kane, again, it's kind of cheesy to, today. But at the time, it was just really... Cool. And it was just a fascinating thing to see. Um, I do I do have one one caveat with this match, one issue is that it ends with not Shawn Michaels closing the lid of the casket, but with Kane closing the, the lid of the casket. So Michaels wins via Kane. Right. And with that being the case, I have to ask, earlier in the match, they both go into the casket and the lid shuts. So wouldn't that be a draw?
0: I don't think anybody's ever addressed that on air.
1: (laughs) Yes, that would be a question to send into Bruce Pritchard's podcast, probably.
0: (laughs) I would love, you know what? I'm going to send that in um, and I doubt they'll answer it, but it's worth it. Yeah,
1: I I highly doubt it. But yeah, if they, they were both in the casket and the lid was completely shut. So wouldn't that technically be a draw? Right.
0: Well, Leonard, what do you have for us next?
1: All right, so next up I have, so this is my second one of this list, and uh, it is Triple H versus Cactus Jack for the WWF World Heavyweight title from 2000, Um, and I know this kind of connects to a a match that you're going to talk about in a little bit, so I won't go into that yet, but it's a great storyline, it's a great feud here, and I think this really made Triple H, uh, you know, who it is, it took him to that next level. And it was a great use of Foley as he was really broken down at this point, but he could still do the garbage kind of stuff. And him returning to his Cactus Jack persona was something that struck a chord with me at the time. I I loved that. Uh, This has a nice build for a street fight. They go to the floor pretty early, but they don't stay there. They go into the crowd, but don't stay there. You know, such matches today usually, you know, it picks a certain lane. Lane. Uh, we're all outside the ring, we're all in the crowd. This has layering the way they move through the crowd, uh, through the match, through the outside area to that back to the not the entrance stage area, I should say. Good use of weapons like the chair early and the wooden pallets and the trash can at the entrance. Uh, there's that's a fantastic way to introduce all these weapons without just pulling stuff out from underneath the ring. Uh, fully does get the barbed wire two by four, uh, but that's. You know, one of his obviously planted and something that he was known for, especially when he was wrestling over in Japan. Um, Great selling by Foley throughout. Um, He went in here, I think, saying, I'm going to put Hunter over as hard as I can. And, and, And he did. And when we talk about the Steiner Triple H match, there's a big difference between how he, and you look, how he related to Steiner, how he worked with Steiner, what he put over, what he didn't put over, what he did, what he didn't do, as opposed to this match where you could tell he's working with Foley. He wants to work with Foley. He wants to do certain things to to give him certain things in the match. And and it makes both of them look really good. You know, Triple H bleeds, he bleeds buckets. He looks, I don't wanna say he looks great, but the blood looks great. Um, the announcer table spots are great and how that was part of the overall story where they did the one table than the other. Um, the handcuff spot, again, that was a callback to another match that we're going to talk about. Um, but I, I think that works as a, as a historical reference. My um, couple critiques might be that I think it went a little bit too long. It felt too long. And there's a random Rock cameo. Like, Rock just shows up. Like, I think it's a cherry, He bashes Triple H with a chair and then leaves. So those would be be two, two critiques I would have of this.
0: Yeah, you know, I... I leonard and i went over our uh, lists before so that you know we knew what each other had we sometimes don't get yes. so i left this match off on purpose but in reality to me this is like a clear number one um if, if we were ranking them if mm-hmm. both of us to me this is the best example of a royal rumble title match that you can get one of the best examples of a street fight uh Both Triple H and Mick Foley, Cactus Jack had something to prove here. And I think they definitely did that. They really showcased their skills. It was a vicious match. Uh, you know, famously, everybody talks about the spot where Triple H gets suplexed onto the pallet and has that piece of wood go right into his leg. It's not really Mm -hmm. something you notice on the first time you watch it, but like when you look at it afterwards, you can really see that his leg is bleeding very, very vigorously. Um, but yeah, I love this match. I've watched it many, many times, and I would gladly watch it again because it's just that entertaining. I do not think there are a lot of people that had chemistry with Triple H. I don't think anybody had as good of chemistry with him that McFoley did, because I just mm-hmm. think that their matches were tremendous. So yeah, that was this is a great pick. Um all right. So my next match, we are going a year earlier. 1999, January 24th at the Arrowhead Pond of Anaheim. No chance in hell was the uh, tagline here. It's The Rock versus Mankind in an I Quit match. Uh, This era, you had HBK as the commissioner. Uh, Very weak rumble card overall. Uh, You know, you had four different championships being defended. The European Championship was among them. You had the Sable Luna feud, which is uh, one of Leonard's favorites, I'm sure.
1: Oh, it's it's up there, right with Don Marie and Tori Wilson.
0: That's right. Uh, you had the, basically the rumble was basically Austin and McMahon. Nobody really remembers much else. yeah um, But this was just a vicious, vicious match. It really, really was. Um, Mick Foley's sacrifice, I guess you could say. I would love to say selling or work, but you know, like the sacrifice he makes here is just, you know, insane. It's One of the matches that I think adds to his legend, Um, and obviously it was featured very prominently in the documentary Beyond the Mat, uh, because McFoley's family was at ringside watching him get repeated chair shots to the head and the handcuffs, you know, very, like I said, very brutal. It's a very emotional scene when you watch the documentary. The fact that a family is watching that, I get it. To me, it doesn't take away from the fact that this match is a near classic. I loved The Rock and Mankind Feud. I really, really did. Their halftime Heat empty arena match, to me, is an unsung classic as well. Um, they, they really just had great chemistry together. I mean, Mick, Mick Foley in these years was just doing awesome, awesome stuff. Um, even if it wasn't match-wise, the Rumble where, you know, I'm not sure what year it was. Maybe you know it wasn't this year where he uh, has all three characters. You
1: know? Yeah, I do, I don't remember because I actually ran across that one from one of the shows I was looking at, but I did not remember which one it was now. But yeah, this is a this is just a great a match that really will leave an impression if you haven't seen it, Leonard. Yeah, you know I think this is probably one of the most famous non-Rumble matches from a, a Rumble pay pay per view, and it's a good thing I rewatched it because I remember having big a big problem with the finish. Which was uh, fully being passed out, and the rock putting the mic to him, and they play him saying I quit from an earlier promo. Right. Now, rewatching it, that plays a lot better than I remember because he is down. You can't see his face or his mouth. Um, one question I had, wouldn't the referee know Hebner is not in position to see. <laughs> it comes over the PA like it would. They do explain it the next night on Raw that it was Shane McMahon who took the edited clip and played it. So it all makes sense. Now, even saying that, it seemed to be kind of a cheap finish because the, you wanted Rock to win, but you didn't want Foley to say, I quit. You didn't want him to lose that mystique, that toughness. So it's an inventive finish, but it is one that I? I do think it feels a, a bit cheap uh but uh you know overall the match was, was, was fine with great intensity throughout uh these two have great chemistry we're talking a lot about chemistry but chemistry is how you get good matches between people sure. they have to like to work with each other um i like the give and take they have throughout of this i like how they use the microphone to diss each other not just to say I, you know i because yeah. usually when i quit matches people say no or, you know, never or whatever. And this is them talking crap on each other. And it's funny in that way. Uh, the collapsing table spot is a bit of a black eye here. You know, if they get on it and it falls and you got, like, JR covering. It's like, oh, you had nearly 600 pounds on that table. I'm like, yeah. no, you didn't. You know, yeah, he had, probably badly a little over five, and then that turned into Jerry Lawler talking about how Cactus Jack got fat and all this, all this, and it was, it, it was terrible. Uh, the dive onto the circuit board is probably forgotten as one of Foley's greatest dives. That was crazy. I had forgot yeah. about them until I watched this again. The series of chair shots, as you mentioned, are absolutely brutal. Uh, something very memorable. And yeah, you just have to give a tip of your top hat to Mick Foley. Because not only does he go out and he does this, but he does this with the express purpose in his mind. I've got to think, is I'm putting a rock over, I am making a superstar out of this dude. And the same thing he did with Triple H when we talked about that match. So, I mean, Foley is one of those guys, and he's I think he's wearing the business that he goes out of his way to make other people
0: absolutely. Um, and yeah, the, the ending is an oddity. I remember at the time, maybe not. Thinking too much of it but in retrospect you know it is it's creative but it's also one you can't think too much about so yeah so all right leonard your final pick
1: last one i got here is uh the ladder match for the intercontinental title from 2001 pitting chris jericho versus chris benoit now i know chad doesn't really particularly like benoit matches i also considered kurt angle versus benoit from 03 for this list um You know, and just about every list I said, I looked at some lists online to help jog my memory a bit about every list I saw had had this match on there. Um, I like that they don't start with the ladder in the ring, they build to getting it and bringing it in. You know, even at this point, so much had been done with ladder matches, but I think they came up with a lot of great new invented spots. I like the missile dropkick into the ladder by Jericho. I like the seesaw of the ladder and the Benoit's jaw. There's the modified octopus stretch on top of the ladder, which is insane. Uh, There's a chair shot on a suicide dive of Benoit, which is sickening, and more so now in hindsight, considering everything that happened with him. Uh, The incorporation of the chair was solid throughout. You know, it was a chair and a ladder. They didn't get too crazy with the weapons, but used those both well throughout. Um, I like that they put together a match with a ladder in it, not just... Everything centered around the ladder. Like most ladder matches a day are just doing crap at the ladder. Right. And, and here you have that, but there's still a story being told and a match being fought. And this was a good feud. It's a great win for Jericho. Uh this is probably one of the best one-on-one ladder matches. Uh, right after the one from WrestleMania 10 with Jericho and Ramon. I'm sorry, Michaels and Ramon. This is being Jericho and then
0: yeah. Um, I mean, what can I say? They, oh, Chris, you know, these guys had good chemistry. Um, and I, I well said about the, the, the strategy with the ladder, um, because these days you do see kind of every spot having to involve the ladder in some way. Um, whereas, you know, this one did have a story to tell and, uh, you know, there are quite a few, uh, rumble matches with, benoit in them that uh are technically very high in terms of star ratings um you know i've gone over that in the past but uh i certainly came across those in researching this topic uh but yeah i mean what can you say these guys had good chemistry with pretty much everyone they got in the ring with um so i like that pick um my last match is from 2015 and it might be a little bit of a surprise but let's go over why so it is from January 25th 2015 at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia Pennsylvania Brock Lesnar versus Seth Rollins versus John Cena in a triple threat match so as I've been doing let's go over the era here this is the forced reigns push era (laughs) Uh, you would have reigns winning the rumble with the rock coming in and celebrating with him at the end um, even though the rock was there, the people were booing, they didn't want it. Um, the Usos and the New Day were in matches here. You had the Bella twins, the New Age Outlaws were returning to job to the Ascension. What a high mark on their career that was. That could have made the worst list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Um so I put this match here because it was like I'm I'm a big Brock Lesnar fan, I won't deny that, but I was surprised by how much i liked this match because this was in a period of the rumble where there was a lot of disappointments like the like roman reigns winning i didn't want to see that um so i was looking forward to this match but the fact that it was like three guys that hmm, will they have chemistry in a triple threat match leonard talked about earlier some of his misgivings with triple threat matches and he's right sometimes they can be you know very you know either either you know option a or option b This one I thought was really fast paced and intense. I thought it worked to the strength of all three guys. I thought all three guys worked really hard to make this a excellent, really energetic match from start to finish. Uh, You had, this was a different era of Lesnar. Obviously this is the, you know, former MMA monster, you know, lumberjack (laughs) leonard or uh, leonard lesnar
1: lumberjack leonard that's our new that's our next
0: yeah that'll be leonard's uh, wrestling name um but uh no i just i really like this match i've never been a huge john cena fan um seth rollins and brock lesnar have done some stuff together over the years they have fine chemistry i just thought that this was a really well done version of a triple threat match during a rumble that might not have had very many high spots Otherwise, so. You
1: know, this is the match. that I had like zero memory of when you uh, put it on the list. And I think I do remember seeing it on the one or two other lists that I was looking at. So, you know, I had to go watch it. And you mentioned my comments on triple threat matches. And yeah, this defies that. I think this is very smooth throughout. I think there's a lot of, of three person spots. I think it helps that it's very conceivable that Brock Lesnar can kick two guys' asses at the same time. And the fact that, again, the personalities of each. John Cena will just put his head down and keep going. Seth Rollins is sneaky and will pick his spots. And I think the characters all fit well here to give this uh, a a decent flow. Uh, There are some traditional triple threat tropes here, but there's a certain smoothness that just makes everything work. Um, Lesnar is taken out for a prolonged period, but it works with the story and the action of the match. So when he does come back, it's a great surprise, there's a great pop from the crowd, uh, great spots here. I like Rollins jumping into the F5, I like Rollins putting Lesnar through the table. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by this match, I don't know if I would would call it one, one of the best, uh, but I was pleasantly surprised, I did enjoy it. And I think you're right in the fact that these three guys surprisingly work well together As far as triple threat matches go, which I said I don't like, this one works by and large.
0: Right. Well, I'm glad that you uh, enjoyed it. Um, So, Leonard, I don't know if you listed, like, I made, like, a short list and then kind of had to narrow it down.
1: So, like. Yeah, I didn't didn't write that down. I kind of had a few in my head. And then kind of went, yeah, I think I'll go with that one. And I yeah. rewatched it and went, oh yeah, this this works. I'll talk about this one. So no, I don't I don't have anything else. But if you've got anything else you want to throw out there, feel free.
0: Yeah, just to kind of quick mentions on some of these that uh, people might wondering might be wondering why we didn't go over. Um, it's not a very good match, <laughs> but it's very memorable to me, which was from '91: Slaughter versus Warrior. Um, oh yeah. Just the fact that this is like I don't I don't think at least as a kid I did not expect the warrior to lose
1: the title here. And No, this, this is a huge surprise. I, yeah. I, I don't think I watched it. I, I wasn't watching the pay per views lives at, at live at the time, but I think I remember hearing about it and then just so much wanting to see it. You know, I was like, oh my god, I can't believe that happened. I want to see what happened. You
0: know. Right. Absolutely. And uh, you know, it was it was a really memorable storyline. And, I, you know, I don't know what Macho Man, it's Macho King, I should say, his that scepter was made of, but that is one of the most vicious shots with a weapon that you will ever see, <laughs> like, save for the Jake Roberts uh, guitar shot to the head by the Honky Tonk Man. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I don't know what that scepter was made of, but he hits the warrior square in the face with it, um, so it's nobody could argue like that he should have kicked out uh, but anyway um you know there was just so many so many matches that i forgot about here um you know triple h and Shawn michaels had a last man standing match that went to a draw um some, oh, yeah. sometimes draws can work i you know i you know these guys had a really long feud obviously uh kurt angle and triple h were both heels in 2001 working against each other so the crowd wasn't very into it but they worked well together um edge is, was in a few edge was against Shawn michaels in 2005 against ray mysterio in 2008 mm-hmm. um you had aj styles in quite a few he was against cena in 2017 and then um daniel bryan against aj styles in 2019 which is kind of like almost the end of that era in a way because
1: yeah and i saw cena styles on several lists that i was looking at
0: yeah and you know cena was against um who was it umaga in a last man standing match in uh, yeah
1: that, that that one if i remember 100%. right was surprisingly good yeah
0: um although you know i i you know that they had good matches together i just that feud kind of has left a sour taste in my mouth simply because i think wwe falls into this trap of the way they book some of these monsters they have them go undefeated and undefeated and undefeated to the point where then they lose to the big hero and then that's it. (laughs) Then those guys get shoved way down the card because nobody cares anymore. Yeah. Um, The same thing happened with Rusev. So, uh, but anyway, there's a lot of matches here. I could go on and I'm sure, you know, Leonard could go on if he, if he thought of more. So uh, if you have any other comments for us, please let us know what your favorites are. Um, if you disagree or agree with ours, we always welcome any feedback. Um, we are going to try and bring you one final rumble show next week by reviewing the new Royal rumble. We'll see how that works. Leonard and I both have very busy lives and, uh, you never know what will come up. (laughs) So
1: yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do, do my best to watch it. If, if not, um, on 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 tape if not if not uh, i say on tape yes on i have tape, a vcr wow. right guys that is how old i am <laughs> uh, i i have actually i'm gonna i'm going to I have a laser disc recorder i'm gonna record That's it on laser disc <laughs> <laughs> and watch it and watch it that way uh no i'd, I'd, I'd be able to w- watch the replay via streaming on peacock right um, and let, let me once again say here I went and I watched all these rumble matches on Peacock, and it was just hell finding anything. Yeah. Yep. Finding the show and then finding the match on the show yep. because there's no bookmarks. There's if you go to Peacock and you go to the, the show and you and you go to fast forward, you'll see dots. And I go, oh well, those must be the the matches, the match the the, the, the chapters as it would be. It wasn't. It was just the commercial breaks. Right. It was like, this is just your commercial. And when you go past the dot and you stop, you get a commercial. Yep. No matter where you stop at. Because there was a couple times where, okay, I think it should be next. And I wound up stopping it just a hair early and I get like two commercials in a row. Yeah.
0: See, I paid five more dollars a month to get rid of the ads. And that's the only reason you pay that five dollars more a month is to get rid of the ads. You get literally nothing else it's just ad free yeah peacock sucks it does Mm -hmm. it just sucks um there really is no reigning champ of you know wrestling streaming services right now they all need work in my opinion Mm uh but anyway um so hopefully this rumble is good uh you know leonard i know you don't watch current stuff i gotta say i honestly don't know what they're gonna do here I really don't because I don't
1: think they got 30 people. They don't, they don't, I don't think they have 30 people. They don't have 30 guys and 30 gals. I don't know. You know, I'm interested. We talked about Mickey James last time. I'm interested to see what she does. I know that Johnny Knoxville is supposed to be involved.
0: That just, yeah, that is not a good omen. Is it not? I mean, you know, people. Drew
1: Perry was in one, you know.
0: That's what I was going to, I was just going to reference that. And that was funny, but like it was funny because he was only in it for like, a hiccup.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think he got in and, and what two guys eliminated themselves so he was alone and he was like, Oh, you know, I'm I'm winning. And then like Kane comes out and I think he Kang fails. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Uh anyway. Um,
0: so we will see what happens for Leonard. My name is Chad. We will see you next week and Alexa will see you out.